Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. So let's get into scripture, right? Heavenly Father, Lord God, you are good all the time. You are good. And Father God, we want to go to your word today. Lord, we know and we understand that, Lord, there is always a time to get into your word, that there is always a time to worship, and there is always a time for your warfare. So, Father God, today we ask that your word would seep into our very souls. Prepare the soil in our lives, Lord God. Allow your spirit to dig deep, get that seed right up in there, and let it grow into good fruit. Clear the distractions in the room today. Clear our minds of of Lord, of, of perceptions, or Lord God, of things that do not line up with your scripture, and allow today our minds to be transformed by your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Church says, amen. amen. Nobody's going to fall asleep today. You're going to say amen a hundred times. You're going to say, God is good. And all the time. Uh, the scriptures say this, Second Chronicles. Ooh, you know it's good when a pastor goes to Second Chronicles. Can you find Second Chronicles? Uh, it's in the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament, as you know. So you can scan your Bible. Second Chronicles is on the screen. It's Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13. It reads, The trumpeters and the singers perform together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. This should be familiar, church. This is what we were just doing. We were just praising and honoring and worshiping the Lord. This service today, here is... The spoiler alert, you want to know what the service is about? I'll tell you, this whole service is about one thing. It is about worship. If you haven't figured that out, this service is about worship. And I turn to Second Chronicles to teach us the trumpeters and singers perform together in unison. We are called together in unison. All people, all ages, all races, all different demographics, all different cultures, we are come together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Raise your hand if you have something to give thanks to today. Amen? Amen. The verse continues in 13. It says, Accompanied by the instruments, by the trumpets, by the cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words. Now, if you're in 2 Chronicles, you'll see the words, but I'm going to skip ahead past the words to verse 14. Verse 14 says, And at that moment, listen to this, church, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. At that moment. How would you react today if the Spirit fell down on Kingsway Christian Center that it was a visible thick cloud that filled this room. I would want to know what words I have to say to get the Spirit, entice the Spirit, implore the Spirit to come down into this room. Listen, it doesn't end there. It then says, the priest could not continue the service. That means I drop my Bible, I sit down, I fall down, I wouldn't be able to continue because of the cloud for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of Church, I continue to pray. And I'm not talking about denomination here. Assembly of God, Church of God, Pentecostal holiness. 
You know, it doesn't matter to me. The Holy Spirit is interdenominational. The Holy Spirit can fall on any church, Baptist, Catholic, or Pentecostal. I pray today the Holy Spirit would fall down on the churches across America and fill the temples like a cloud. And I don't care if we see it or not. I don't care if we feel it or not. But I care if he changes us, church. Because when the Spirit moves, it will change you in your seat. Amen? But the question is, what words did he say in 13? What words preceded one of the most amazing miracles in Scripture? A thick cloud falling into the temple where the priest couldn't even preach. What words possibly could have been said during worship? What could he have possibly come up with that allowed the Spirit to rush out of heaven and rush down in this sanctuary? What could he have said? Now, if you opened your Bibles, you probably see it already. So you'll believe me when I'll show you. The words that were said are pretty simple. We say them every week. God is good. Now back then in Hebrew, we said it a little differently. We said, He, our God, is good and His mercy endureth forever. God is good all the time. His mercy endureth forever. His grace endureth forever. His love endureth forever. His healing endureth forever. His power endureth forever. They didn't know about it back then. Jesus needed to die on the cross to find out. But now we know. Now, we're going to blow your mind. If you're focused, if you're not, you're going to miss it. You know, and I thought about this. Somebody actually said something to me. So A, I talk fast. Yeah, I know. B, I use a lot of imagery and, and allegory. I know. Um, and sometimes I use big words. Sometimes I don't make the point exactly clear on some of my subtleties. I know. And I've worked on all those things. But there are sometimes I want you, much like I see in Scripture, to dig a little. I'll make the point pretty clear. The point today is very clear. Worship the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the point. But there's some subtleties that's been going on over the last couple weeks. And if you pay attention, and if you've been paying attention, maybe you pick it up. And the Bible says that's why there's parables. For those who have eyes, let them see. For those who have ears, let them hear. Amen? Here's something about this verse. God is good all the time. He is good, they said. They said it. They said it. Their voices raised. Their hands raised. Some of us walk around as Christians and we'll say to one another, I believe in Christ. I stand for Christ. That's all that matters. And I believe that for a long time. Standing for Christ, believing in Christ is all that matters. That is my resolution. And then things happened over my life. Many things happened. And a woman stood right here a few a few weeks ago, Mary saw, and she preached a message telling us about speaking up for the unborn child and talking about the royal homes. And she got a little bit into politics, which I normally don't do. And she spoke and she said to the Christians, because most of them vote no on pro-choice, they're pro-life. And she said, it's not enough to just say no to abortion. That is not enough, Christians, to just say no. You must do something. And she gave us a list of things we could do. And, and that was just another example that reminded me that it's not enough just to believe or to think something. And the Bible doesn't give you the liberty to just think or believe something. It actually says in the Bible 
to confess with your mouth and then believe in your heart. Why did it say confess with your mouth first? Because all of us or most Christians that I meet today say, well, I believe in my heart. Maybe I'll confess with my mouth. At work, maybe I'll tell them I'm a Christian. Um, at the grocery store, maybe I'll say God is good. At home, maybe I'll pray. Those things don't matter because in my heart I believe that God is good. Is that enough? I'm here to tell you it's not enough. You must use your mouth. You must use your hands. You must use your life to glorify God. And that is what called the Holy Spirit down into the temple. Not just what they believed, but what they did. Amen? Okay, so you're following me. If you're following me, you can see maybe where I'm going with this message. Because in this message, I thought this picture does it justice. It's a beautiful picture, right? Everybody loves flowers. You husbands want to make a good impression on your wife, send them some of these. Doesn't mean you don't need to have a reason. As a matter of fact, when you don't have a reason, it's even better. Send them flowers. Send them flowers. Send them, even if you send them home and you leave work, send them home. Send them to work. Get your wife some flowers. But I want to tell you something. This picture I put up there because there's a hidden message in this picture. Do you see it? There's a hidden message. Well, you see the card there, right? Well, that's the hidden message. It's a message hidden in the flowers. If you may not think that's cute or not, but in every set of flowers, the wife or the person who gets the flowers, they take the flowers, they smell them, but it's not until they take the message out and they open it that they know who it's from. It makes them feel that special, extra warm feeling. When the message drops, when the message falls out, you're not sure who it is. You're elated, but you don't quite feel the same when you open it up and says, I love you. You see, God is doing things for you every day, and you're seeing it. But do you see the hidden message? Do you see the card that he left for you? What I've been trying to tell you, church, this hidden message, there's subliminal messages every day, all day. I watched YouTube. I was going to play a video today, but I decided no videos today. I'm going to go real, just straight to you. No, no you know, formal pulpit. I'm just going to preach right at you today. You know, the subliminal messages, you can watch on YouTube. You can type in subliminal messages or logos. Every major logo out there today from every vendor, whether it's Coca-Cola, FedEx, Amazon, McDonald's, has some type of hidden message. And before you get all skeptical on me, no, they're not all evil. For, for you to think that every hidden message is evil is itself giving God no glory at all because he has tons of hidden messages in his Bible, all over it. Jesus Christ said, oh yeah, plenty of them. And if you actually spend some time and dig and find it, your glory will be the truth of the hidden message. And so the vendors do the same thing. Today, I want to teach you about a hidden message. Is it moving? I apologize. A hidden message. So what's happened over the last couple of messages that I've preached, I've preached a series, and it's been a hidden series. I didn't come up and tell you I was preaching a series. I didn't make a big deal about it. I've been preaching some services the last few weeks. The last three weeks have been a series. And today, you're going to see how the series all fits together. And the point of the series, the point of the hidden message has been to express yourself. To express yourself. God has created you uniquely. He has created you with your own talents, skills, ideas. He's created you to express yourself. Worship, church, is a form of expression. Worship is you expressing your love and desire and devotion 
to God. It is expressing your focus is on Him and not the things around you. It's putting your priorities in order. We express in worship often with our mouth, as the Bible says, to confess with your mouth or to raise your voices. And many of you know that. But today, I want to unpack the series I've been doing by saying there's another form of expression that sometimes we get a little bit uncomfortable with. And it's crazy because it's often associated with charismatic churches, Pentecostal churches. And yet it's something that has seemed to fall away with the new generations that have come to pass, including mine. What I want to talk today to you about is your hand. I want to talk to you about your hand. What do you put your hand to today? What do you use your hand for? Work? Keyboard typing? Tending to the children? Dishes? Laundry? For sure. Gardening? Driving? Changing the radio? Use your hand more than you use your mouth. How do you use your hand to glorify God? Now, you can open the Bible, you can read things, you can go to do missionary work. But there's something you can do today, every day, in every service, and I want to talk to you about it. You see, because I've learned it's in our DNA, and that is why it took me four weeks to preach it. Because some of you wouldn't have believed it at first. So I needed to walk you through the DNA of a human being. The scripture says it like this, Psalms 42, 1. It's one of my favorite scriptures. As the deer longs for the streams of water, or as the deer panteth for water, so my soul longs for you, so I long for you. This is a scripture just to set the basis of what I'm saying today. That as the deer needs water, as basic and primal, as primitive, as a deer needs water, a deer can't go for hours without water. It's seeking water. It's looking for water. It lives around water. It depends on water. As it seeks the water, as it pants for the water, the same DNA that forces the deer to do that is the same DNA that's in each and every one of you that longs for God. Your soul longs for God. Do you understand that, church? It is in your DNA. The problem is we've got it twisted. And that DNA that's inside, our interpretation of it through our culture, our interpretation of it through our upbringing, our interpretation of it through our own goals, thwarts that longing. And we use it for so many other things. And that was the last four weeks. So I said to you, Last week, to work backwards, just catch you up real quick. I asked you, why would you ever plead? Why would you ever plead? And I'm not going to preach that service again. Please go listen to it on the podcast. But pleading is a very important concept in Scripture. The word that you see in King James, you'll see the word supplication. It means to plea. It means to have something that you need, that you can't get yourself, that you can't give yourself. You have to literally plead and beseech someone else, some authority to get out of jail or some authority to a king or some authority. And so we only use the word plead in courts these days. But God asks us to plead to him with our supplications. And so we asked you about pleading. Now, I'm going to go through pretty quickly the last three weeks in about five or ten minutes here. And I want you to take notice of the hands. I want you to take notice of the hands. Because I ended the plead sermon by saying 
The DNA that's in every one of us to plead starts as an infant, and it looks like this. Every infant, no matter where they're born, no matter what language they speak, no matter if they're born with a silver spoon or in poverty, knows how to plead like this. They plead for their mother. They plead for their father. They plead a heartfelt need for something expressed in their DNA where communication won't do it. Their hands are up. One thing only will do. One thing more than anything else I need. Come to me, mom. Come to me, dad. And it implores the emotion of every mother and father to pick the child up. And as we said last week, it doesn't always have to be a sad moment where the child's hurt or lonely or needs to be comforted. If you go back into that infant nursery, you'll see children like this that love their mommy and daddy so much that they just want to plead to be in their presence. They just want to have the same reaction just to be close, minus the anxiety, minus any of the fear. They just have an expectation of love. And so they plead to be closer to the one that created them who created you today. Do you plead to be with him? Amen? God created this scene in each and every one of us. Somewhere at the age of five or six, we begin to forget about it. And by the time you're in your 40s, you look at other children and you're reminded, wow, I used to be that way. You see, God wants you to plead today. Then, the week prior, I asked you a different question. I asked you, why would you ever surrender why would you ever surrender? Is that something Americans do? Is it something we do in our everyday life? What does it mean to surrender? Compromise, yes. We talk about it in marriages all the time. Surrender, no. It's not something that's in our culture, something in our context. My sons and I were driving to church today, and we were discussing armies, and we were discussing, you know, who's got the most powerful army, and what do they use those armies for, and how does America stack up, and would America ever surrender? We were having these conversations about that. And so I asked you to think to yourself, when would you ever surrender? So we had this funny picture, the otter surrendering. You know, we need to surrender. I brought up the concept to you guys of partial surrender syndrome. Remember that? Where, yeah, we like to surrender a little bit, and then when we get our way, we take the power back. Anytime we have resistance, you know, we don't want to surrender. We have our own will, our own ideas, our own authority. But when we surrender, look what happens to our hands. When we surrender, whether it's because of fear or overtaken or overcome, it looks like that. Look at the placement of the hands. It's an outward expression that we surrender. And I asked you the question in that service, would you continue to serve God? Would you surrender to God if he didn't do another thing for you? And we had that service, and it was a great service. And the service before was way more upbeat. It asked the third question, why would you ever revel? And I'm doing this just for those of you who didn't see the last three services. I'm just catching you up to date. Why would you ever revel? Revel is a term of celebration. Revel is when you're cheering and screaming on a roller coaster and your hands are up or you're at a concert and you're clapping you're cheering the guy on stage or you're at a sports contest and the ball's in the air and you're like yeah oh if that's reveling when action's taking place when you expect something that's reveling when would you ever revel and we showed pictures of reveling like these children look at their hands look at their hands 
Look at the expression. I showed this picture, reveling in celebration. I used the picture to say this was when school started and all the moms were excited because all their kids were now back at school. Yay! I asked the question, have you gone out of your way to revel God today? When you worship him, do you worship him in revelty? Do you, do you give it all to him? Do you like, oh, I give you my all, God? Have you picked up the hidden message yet? Human beings are expressive creatures. It's in your DNA. You will express yourself at sports games, at concerts, at graduation. You'll express yourselves in the midst of fear, in the midst of, of anxiety. You'll express yourselves in court. You'll express yourselves in the midst of authority. And at the most basic DNA level, when logic is not applying, but your emotions are taking over, and you are just reacting and emoting, when you do that, whether you are surrendering or pleading or reveling, at the moment of the most basic emotion, your hands implicitly will go up. And that's not even at church. That's on the battlefield. That's in a courtroom. That's at a sports game. That's in a, a back alley when somebody's putting a gun to your head. Now, let's look at what Scripture says about how you're supposed to use your hands. It says in Psalms, you always start in Psalms. That's a psalm about worship and about prayer and about going to God. 28.2, listen to my prayer for mercy as I cry out to you for help as I lift my hands. Towards your holy sanctuary. I love this scripture. Now, this is maybe the NIV version. This is one of those where we talked about in the week of supplication. They don't use the word supplication anymore because, I don't know, it's got four syllables and it's long. So they, they said prayer for mercy. That's the English today word to say, prayer for mercy. It really means plea. It means supplication. You go look King James. The original word there is supplication. So as we, as we plead to God, we raise our hands towards his holy sanctuary. In his temple, we should raise our hands to him and plead for what is going on in our lives. And if everything is going wonderful in your lives, then you know who you should be pleading for? Those in Puerto Rico, those in Las Vegas, those in Houston, those in Mississippi, those in Florida, those in Vietnam, those in Korea. Do I continue, church? There are plenty of people who need pleading now. Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for all the world, pleading for them. He could use a little help, church. And I guarantee you, he's got his hands raised to the Father. 28.2. Let's keep on with Psalms. If you're in Psalms and you're at chapter 28.2 because you read it, um, you can flip ahead a little bit more and you'll see Psalms 63.4. I will praise you as long as I live. Another version of God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. You know, if you've lived as long as some of our seniors here, older generation, you've seen good days and you've seen bad. You've seen excellent days and you've seen tragic ones. But you have served God through all of your days because he is good all the time. It says, and in your name, I will lift my hands. Psalms 63, 4. What are you using your hands for today? Let's keep reading. 
Psalms 134.2. Keeping Psalms here. And there, by the way, there are probably 57 verses that I could have shared with you. I picked some of my favorites. Psalms 134.2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. So if there's any question, if the Bible says, when I come to church, should I lift my hands and worship God? Is there a question? Well, there's 30 verses that say, yes, here's one of them. I think that's pretty clear. Let's just read it again. Let me read it again. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. I didn't say it. This is where it drives me crazy. Because all around churches today, now look, I'm only 40, so I have no clue how it was in the 50s, in the 20s, in the 18. I don't know how church was back then. But from reading history books and from going to churches around the East Coast, up, uh, down South and up North, I got the feeling that if you're part of a charismatic church, if you're part of a Pentecostal church or a Spirit-filled church, yeah, you can raise your hands and dance in the Lord. Yeah, but if you're part of a non-charismatic church, no, you should not raise your hands. It's irreverent. I don't know. Or it's not something that is encouraged. Not many people are doing it. Why is this pegged as a charismatic thing? Nowhere in this scripture are we debating the Holy Spirit and Him working today. Nowhere in any of the scriptures. As a matter of fact, I'm still in the Old Testament. I haven't even gotten to the release of the Holy Spirit. So clearly, the Bible is teaching us to lift our hands all the time, especially in church, like Chronicles teaches us. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Every time I walk through that sanctuary doors, whether I'm working on something in here or whether I'm coming to preach, I come in that sanctuary and I try to raise my hands and my heart and my voice to God every time. Now, with that said, I need to have a disclaimer here. This message is not about every single person worshiping God the same way. I don't care how you worship God. As long as it glorifies and honors Him, as long as you don't take attention off of Him and put it on yourself, worship God any way you want to worship God. And I hope that you express yourself. When we had a church full of Nigerians, they expressed themselves. When we had a church full of uh, Indians, they expressed themselves. When we had a church full of young, you know, my generation, when, when we were youth pastoring and we had 50-some kids up there, they expressed themselves. A lot of ways we didn't like it doing them, but they did it. They expressed themselves. The point is, the Word is asking you to express yourselves, not just with your voice, but with your hands, church. Now, some of you are asking the right question. Why? We'll get to that. My point is, it's not a charismatic thing. It's not a requirement to come to church. If you don't raise your hands in church, I don't get upset at you. Of course not. Some days you're having a tougher day, maybe you don't want to raise your hands. But my concern, and the reason why this message is on my heart, and the reason why I took three weeks to preach it to get there, is because you do raise your hands when you celebrate and you revel. You do raise your hands when you plea. You do raise your hands when you surrender. But many of us feel uncomfortable raising our hands to God when He's trying to help us with all three of those things. And in church, we make it an uncomfortable thing. Who's raising their hand? Who's doing this? Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do this? Where do I put my hands? It's not supposed to be uncomfortable. No one's supposed to care what you're doing. You just need to allow the Spirit to move in you and stop thinking about how you're standing or where you're sitting and just allow the Spirit to move in you, church. By the way, 
The community of people who enjoy music and enjoy dancing, they'll say things like the music will flow through you. And we're not even talking about the Holy Spirit. We're just talking about people who listen to music. Now add the dimension of the Holy Spirit actually working in you. He's going to move you, church. For in him, for in him we have, do you know this one? I'm going to save it. Lamentations 341. I had to pick one out of Lamentations, had to. Lamentations, I always think this is like at the very front of the Bible. And so every time I scan it, I, I, get, I, I lose track because it's not. Lamentations, in case you don't know what the word lament means, ask your child. They're really good at it. When something goes wrong, when they don't have what they need, they lament. So Lamentations, do you believe that in the book of Lamentations, the book of suffering, the book of crying, the book of pleading to God, it says, let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. Now, I put this verse in there for two reasons. One, it's in Lamentations. So if you're going through a tough time today, if you're having a tough time in church, a tough time in life, a tough time dealing with the world, come to church. In the sanctuary, lift your hands, express yourself. But the point isn't your hands, church. The Bible is telling you that there's something inside deeper that's at work, something in your heart. And you see, God looks at the heart. So I don't know what's going on in your heart. I have no idea what the Lord is speaking to you. But if he is speaking to you in your heart and you begin to lift your heart, it becomes very natural to lift your hand. I know I'm making some people uncomfortable, probably because I'm staying completely in the Old Testament. And some may say, well, that was for the old days, and we're in the new days. We can do whatever we want now, right? Um, 1 Timothy 2.8. New Testament. Spin up, spin up. You see it? It says these words. In every place of worship, whether you're at home, whether you're in your car, whether you're at work, whether you're walking down the street, whether you come into the sanctuary, whether you go into youth group, whether you're playing basketball, in every place of worship, it says, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted. I didn't write this. To God. Now hear is mind-blowing. In a world today where we're more divisive than ever, where our politicians, where our government, where our protests seem to cause more division than they do unity. In a world today where issues have now bubbled to the point where people can't just discuss them and find common ground, instead the issues bubble up and we get angry and mad and aggressive towards one another. Even during peaceful protests, we turn them into a bout of aggression. This is the world we live in. And God knew way before 2017 we would be like this. And he's given us the answer. He said, look, despite what you're angry over and despite what your controversy is, on Sunday, in your church, in your sanctuary, you need to free yourself because these are burdens that hold us down. Because church, I can't imagine how we would possibly change that world out there without that God up there. So if you wanna change something, you need a little help. And it isn't your burden, it's his. So free yourself from it and raise your hands and worship him. Again, I didn't say it, Timothy did. Well, actually, Paul did to Timothy. And by the way, Timothy's a little guy. He's a young guy. So, you know, anybody that's just speaking to, this means we're young in spirit. Paul was trying to teach him, come on, young buck. Get up. 
I know you got a lot of issues on your heart. I know you got a lot of things on your mind. Come on, millennials. I know you think that you know everything. I get it. That's good. You probably do. But look, you need to free yourself from all that and worship God today. That's what he was telling them. This isn't about that. I'm going to keep going. You finding the point yet? This point's easy. See, I figured I'm just going to give you scripture after scripture. I'm just going to hit you with the points. Express yourself. Hopefully the worship team is starting to feel it because I'm going to call you up here in a minute and we're going to worship. Hopefully, church, give you a chance. I got another verse for you. For those of you who say, I think he's saying that we all need to have our hands straight in the air. No. There are a lot of ways to lift your hands. I'm not here to tell you that you need to lift it a certain way. I'm not trying to say what to do with your hands. I'm asking you to be aware that God has given you two hands that you use every day for everything. And I'm asking you how you use them for the Lord. And I'm giving you an opportunity. The Bible says to use your hands and clap. Now, the worship team may laugh at this because many of you can't clap. I mean, you can do this, but you're really bad at it. I'm one of them. I get it. You know, I've had somebody come up to me and say, you clap funny. I know. I get it. The Bible says make a joyful noise. I get it. As long as I'm in unison and I'm not throwing them off, I do the best I can. And when I am throwing them off, I do it a little slower or a little quieter. But it says clap your hands. And the second part I'm good at, Amber, shout to God with a joyful praise. If I can't clap right, I'll shout right. But believe me, it's going to get my body going. You know what I'm saying? Some of you guys will wake up in a second, I hope. God is good, and all the time. Look, the Bible says, for in him we live, and we move, and we have our being. He created you today. He's got given you everything you've ever had, everything you ever will have. He's given you your breath. Use it for him. You are created to worship. This would be the time that I normally would take advantage of everyone's excitement, bring the worship team up, and do this really awesome worship set and have everybody leave here happy and saying, oh, that was good. That was good. I'm not that kind of pastor. I'm just not that guy. And you guys are getting to know me. I'm about as real as they get. I can't work off of just emotion. And everything given answer, the Bible says. The Bible talks about a renewing of your mind. Be everything to all people. Some people work off emotion. Some people walk off of uh, visualizing and understanding. Some people work off of the grandstanding. Some people work off of just being quiet and still. Some people need a little logic. Look, I don't believe there's anything illogical about Christianity. My son and I, we had an, a, a long conversation. Um, in his school, they asked this question. Is Christianity a mystical religion or a logical one? And hearing the results and hearing his students and hearing his peers answer this question, it gave me ire. It gave me uh, discomfort. It ga I was depressed because we have somehow, somehow shrunken Christianity to an emotional response with just music, smoke, and lights, and that it can't speak to our minds, and that God somehow doesn't appreciate how our brains work, and we just need to follow him like a lemming. That is not true, church. The depths of his wisdom are beyond what we could possibly understand in a lifetime. Just so few of us spend any time in Scripture looking at the secrets that are already there. So I want to share one with you now. And then we're going to worship. There is a word that many of you know and you probably have never thought about. 
It has a lot of connotation. As a matter of fact, it's often a derogatory term in American culture. It's considered a racist term. People have died over this word. There's been wars over this word. Millions of people have died over this word. It's not Jesus. The word is Jew. J-E-W. Now you know that word because it's in the English language. Have you studied that word in Hebrew? Have you studied that word in its original context? Where did it come from? What does it mean? If I say Jew, I can only imagine what many of you think it means. You may think Hebrew. You may think Israeli. You may think priests. You may think rabbi. The word Jew comes from the root. Yehudi. Yehudi. You don't need to know that word. But you know that word in a different function of Yehudi. In English, it's also a root of Judah. The lion of Judah. The tribes of Judah. Yehudi is where the Jewish people come from the line of Judah. Yehudi. Do you know what it means in its root form? It means, now get this church, it means to worship. The word Yehudi means to worship, to express yourself in worship. Jesus was a Jew, and when we say he 100% God is 100% man, he came down as man, 100% Jew, to have his life as an expression of worship. And he began to worship. And everywhere he went, broken souls, he worshiped God and he tried to heal and bring hope. In the sanctuary, he took out the people who had sin and he brought in the Spirit of God. When he died on the cross, he broke the veil of the temple to allow the worship spirit to be seen and felt by all, not just the Jew, but the Gentile as well. His life was an expression of worship. It's why the Bible says, he has given us life. And that more abundantly. If you don't have abundant life today, have you considered where your worship is? I could end there. But because I was doing this sermon and I've been talking about hands and I've been talking about all the different expressions of worship, I had to go a little further. And it's so easy now. You don't need to be a literary scholar. You don't need to understand lexicon. You don't need to go to school. You can go to Google which you guys do every day anyway. Also, subliminal message, the colors mean something. Another day, another time. Go into Google, and you can type in Jew. You will see Yehudi. Click on Yehudi. See where that word comes from. What is its root word? And keep tracing it back to the word that was the primitive word, the primitive root, the root where it all started. What is the root of Yehudi? What is the root of worship? And if I asked a hundred of you, I guarantee you, you probably couldn't figure it out because I had no clue. I was mind blown, which triggered this entire series I've been preaching over the last couple of weeks. The root of Yehudi is a Jewish word called Yad. Yad. So Yadhui or Yad. What does Yad mean? Are you ready for this, church? Yad. It means hand. Hand. Worship God with your hand. But here, here is, again, an extra 15 minutes of study. 
And you can find out that there are more than one word for hand in the Hebrew language. And as I began to study, I realized that there is closed hand, and then there is yad. It's not just any hand. It literally means open hand. Jew means to worship God with an open hand. Now, we go back to Jesus, and we see his expressions, his open hand blessing the sick, his open hand blessing the blind, his open hand blessing the paralytic, his open hand blessing the bread, blessing the fish, blessing Peter, his open hand blessing everyone he can. He tells us that you and I, priest of our family, need to be taking our open hands and blessing our children, blessing our spouse, blessing our home. You do not need me to come into your home to bless it. You don't need me to come to your children and bless them. I am an under-shepherd. My job is to communicate God's word to you. You are the priest of your house. You need to bless your house. You need to bless your children. You need to bless your workplace with your open hand. But church, it's, not, it's just not done to me. It goes on and on into infinity. You see, the open hand that Jesus expressed while he was living came into full view in his death. When they took his open hand and they put it on the cross and they nailed a nail in his hand and had them both open for you and I, like this hand you see here, why an open hand? Why not a closed hand? You see, a closed hand is for anger. A closed hand is for strife. A closed hand is for war. We do not serve a God of war, of strife, or anger. We serve a powerful God that can use an open hand to accomplish the same thing with grace, with mercy, and in his death church. Are you following me? And he asked you to use his open hand the same way. And the people of that time knew it. They just didn't know it to the depth we know it now. They knew what he stood for when they put his hands out like this. They hung him on a cross and they called him king of the Jews, king of the open hand, king of those who worship. Now look at you, worshiper. Stand on the cross and see who you're worshiping now. Because in my death, I will worship you, he says, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I am the great I am. Church, are you following me? He is the King of the Jews. He is the guy with the open hand. And all throughout Scripture, 152 times, he tells you and me to use your hand. He doesn't care if you're using your hand in celebration. He doesn't care if you're using your hand in surrender. He doesn't care if you're using your hand pleading. He doesn't care how you're using your hand. Just use them. Church, if you had any idea why our logo looks the way it does, we believe in Kingsway. We believe that this Kingsway is the cross. We believe that the King in Kingsway does stand for King of the Jews. We believe this is a place of worship. We believe that the Holy Spirit's alive today. We believe that it's working through this church every single day. We believe whether you raise your hand or not, He loves us, He cares for us, and He's gonna work in your life, church. Do you understand, when you open your hands, you feel the power of all that's around you. Our kids understand it. 
we down inside, you understand it. It's in your very DNA to worship God with your hands, to raise them to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and say, no, I will not grow weary. I will not grow tired. If I do one more thing on this planet, it will be to worship you, God, with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.